Well, welcome to today's conversation, how to blow an atheist mind. My name is Eric Hoven. I'm the president of Creation Today. Hey, some really cool stuff coming up. Um, if, um, if you are in a cold area, I need you to send a message to me in the chat that uh, your temperature where you're at, and it's got to be below what it is here in Florida. What are we at about, uh, girls, we're at about 55 degrees right now, I think, something like that, 50 maybe, 50 degrees. So if it's colder than that, put something in the chat. I've got, a, I've got a, 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 something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. Actually, I'm going to give it to anyway, everybody. It's just a way to, to get something in the chat. I, I just, um, I got invited to a conference that I think is going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be on, um, on online. You'll be able to watch it from anywhere. Uh, and it's coming up February 5th. When I first got approached for this conference, I thought, I don't, I don't know what I, what I think about that. I'm, let, me, let me do some thinking on it. Uh, it's some friends of mine that are putting it on uh, over at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and they said, we want to do uh, epic battles of the Bible, Genesis versus Revelation. And so I thought about it, and I went, well, that would actually be kind of cool because there are actually entire books of the Bible that that go along with the whole creation account. And anyway, I just thought that'd be really, really neat. They asked me to speak on a literal global flood. How do we know from the Bible? How do we know from science that the globe was, that the, the flood was global in nature? So you can join me. Uh, Epic Battles of the Bible on February 5th. Going to be giving that away to everybody. It's a free conference. Everybody can come. Uh, myself, uh, Nathan Jones, is going to be uh, joining me. He works there at Lamb and Lion Ministries. Joe Martin, many of you will know him from the Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution series. Phenomenal series. And then Tim Moore, the president of Lamb and Lion Ministries now. Uh, if you want to join me uh, for that, just go to creationtoday.org slash sign up. creationtoday.org slash sign up. And I'll, I'll put you in um, uh, the, the email that we send out that gives you the link for that on February 5th. So we'd love to have you there. Hey, a little update on my family. Uh, my wife, Tanya, is still doing awesome and beautiful as ever. Uh, blessed. The family is growing. I told some of you guys this back in November. Uh, my wife and I have three amazing kids and our family is growing. But my wife's not pregnant. We're not doing foster care yet. And we haven't adopted anybody yet. However, my daughter, Stephanie, did get engaged to be married and uh, really excited about that. So uh, what, a, what a cool proposal uh, that Michael did. So really excited. She's going to be in, uh, getting married uh, coming up in June. So excited about my family, excited about what God is doing in our life and through us to reach the world. There's a lot of kids out there that need to be reached. And I'm just really, really excited about that. The Bible says, let's get started here. I want to talk today about how to blow an atheist's mind. And I've already had some atheist friends go, ooh, this should be good. Uh, I've done radio uh, um, interviews with atheists on Atheist Podcast on this subject, uh, talked about it quite a bit, and it really does stump, stop, it really blows the atheist's mind, the information I want to give you today. Uh, in, in the book of Psalms, chapter number 111, verse number 10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I got a question for you. 
Is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Just type yes or no in the comments and that'll tell me exactly everything I need to know about you. But is the fear of the Lord really the beginning of wisdom? Yes or no? Jordan here from one of our Creation Today partners is saying yes. Marlissa is saying yes. Shane is saying yes. You guys are all my partners here, so I'm expecting you to say yes. I'm curious about my, my unbelieving friends that are online. Uh, Masaki is saying LOL. Oh, Paul Enns is saying no. You're my atheist friend. Uh, that's saying no to this. Uh, in, in Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is the fear of the Lord really the beginning, the very foundation of knowledge itself? I do talk to a lot of skeptics. I uh, appreciate very, very much some of the, um, some of the hypocrisy, actually all of the hypocrisy in the church that is exposed by skeptics or people that are that would call themselves atheists or maybe they're not an atheist, but they're at least skeptical of the Bible or skeptical of the church. When, when they point out hypocrisy, when they point out immorality in the church, they're doing that based on the Bible. They're calling, holding people accountable, but they're doing it based on a biblical worldview. And I go, that's a good thing. We need to be calling out hypocrisy. We need to be calling out times when, when, um, when, our word and God's word don't match up. We need to be doing that, but we also need a standard to go by. And that's what's really, really important. So I love talking to skeptics. I, I, I truly love them and love engaging with them. Paul, you're on here. I love you, man. I really do. Um, so I read a lot uh, of skeptical informa uh, information from skeptics and things like that. I think of Brad Pitt. Now, I'm not sure where he's at now, but a couple years ago, he said, I'm probably 20% atheist. 80% agnostic. I don't think anyone really knows. You'll either find out or not when you get there. Until then, there's no point in thinking about it. And I go, I don't know. That sounds like a really bad way to go. Say, don't even think about it. You'll find out when you get there. It's, it's like, because if Christianity is true, then right now, this life, you listening to me, this is your opportunity to find out what's true and what's not true. This is the time when you make the decisions uh, for where you're going to end up in the next life. Uh, George Clooney said, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't believe in God. All I know is that as an in individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. I read that and I go, oh, it just kind of saddens me because once again, I, I appreciate that he doesn't want this life to be wasted. But to deny the reality of God is foolishness. And I, and I hope to show that to you today. I, there was a university professor, Dr. Richard Reuty, um, uh, or professor of philosophy at the University of Virginia. He's passed away. But he, he went this far when talking about how he is going to interact with his students. He said, secular professors in the university ought to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. He went on, he said, students are fortunate to find themselves under the benevolence of the love of people like me and to have escaped the grip of their frightening, vicious, dangerous parents. I have a feeling Paul and you, some of your friends out there would say amen to this. I say, no, this is part of the problem.
He said, we're going to go right on trying to discredit you parents, in the, talking to the parents, in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. This is the mindset of many people today. You think of Bill Nye. Uh, he said to the grown-ups in his big thing that he did, I think that was 2012, to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. He said, but don't make your kids do it because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need engineers that can build stuff and solve problems. Now, when I read this, I can't help but think of the logic of his comments here. And, and I want to look at the history of science here in just a minute. I mean, to say that you got to have people that believe in evolution because otherwise you can't build stuff, you can't solve problems, that's incredibly absurd. That's a real slap in the face to every engineer, every architect, every designer that believes in the authority of the Word of God, that believes in the deity of Christ, and rejects the evolution worldview based on science and based on scripture. I mean, do you check the bridges that you drive over to find out if they were built by a creationist or an evolutionist? It's irrelevant, isn't it? Because science is science. The late Christopher Hitchens said, the duel between Christianity and atheism is the most important in the world. And there really is, we realize this, there really is a battle taking place. The real battle is not just an intellectual battle. The real battle is for the heart of mankind, for the souls of people. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that you and I are to be ready to give an answer. Um, that's where we get the word apologetics, to give a defense of the faith. Be ready always to give an answer in the, in the Greek language, to give an answer. That phrase right there is the Greek word apologia, and that's where we get the word apologetics from. Give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. You and I are commanded to be able to give an answer to everybody. Everybody. Now, you may think like I used to think, well, if I'm not a biologist, I can't answer the biologist. And if I'm not an astrophysicist, I can't answer the astrophysicist. Now, you got to realize God is calling us to answer everybody to be able to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in you. What is the reason of the hope? Why do you have hope when others have no hope? I mean, when you really come down to the end of life and everything is meaningless, everything means nothing, there is no hope in that. I did a program uh, with Tom Hartman. And as I was being interviewed by Tom Hartman, he's a very liberal um, uh, talk show host out of the Seattle, I believe he's Seattle, Washington or Portland, Oregon, one of those two. And he brought me on and in his monologue at the beginning of the show, he talked about how teaching creation to kids is going to kneecap our children in science. Then he said, matter of fact, it's borderline child abuse. And I thought, wow, that's quite the claim. He, then he, he said, Eric, welcome to the program. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I teach creation. He's claiming that teaching creation is going to kneecap our children in science and that it's borderline child. He's accusing me of being a child abuser. Now, Paul, I don't think you, but I know many other atheists would say, yeah, that's child abuse. 
And when I went on his program, I, I had to stop and I had to say, you know, Tom, listen, I'm really confused by what you're saying here because teaching children that there is a God that they're going to be held accountable to, that they are incredibly designed, look around, and there is right and there is wrong, that's not child abuse. However, telling boys and girls, hey, there is no God, there are no moral absolutes, you can do whatever you want, and then turning around and punishing that child when they do something wrong, that is emotional and psychological child abuse. You can't tell kids there's no right and wrong, do what you want, and then punish them for doing something that you claim is wrong. That is child abuse. Anyway, it's a real slap in the face to anybody who's actually endured physical child abuse as well to make that claim. Now, the average skeptic out there is going to say something like this. Hey, religious belief is irrational, okay? They say there's no evidence for God's existence. I had somebody, I put, we're, we're hiring a graphic designer and a, um, uh, a, web, um, a web and IT guy. We're, we're looking for, say guy, I don't care if it's a guy or a girl, person, individual. What's the right word? To be, I don't care about being politically correct. I just want to be correct. Um, so we're hiring, making two hires, and I put the post out on uh, my Instagram page yesterday. And I had somebody reply with, there is no evidence for God's existence. Give me just some evidence. And I'm like, uh, dude, you're, you're, you're replying on a post that's it's for a job. Like this is really out of place. It, it just seemed like the cut and paste. Uh, let me just cut and paste something that I read on Google. Uh, and then I thought somebody else wrote that was good and cut and pasted in there. But the reality is this isn't a matter of how much evidence does each side have. This isn't a battle of who has the most evidence because everybody has the same evidence. You're looking at the same world I'm looking at. We're all looking at the same rocks, the same strata formations. We're all looking at the same world. We're looking at the same DNA. We're looking at the same, you know, things going on, the same history of the world. We're all looking at the same evidence. Now, I think it would be great to do, and, and we do this on a regular basis on the show here on the Creation Today Show, we bring in evidences for God or for creation or against evolution or for young earth or for the Grand Canyon being carved quickly as a breach dam. We bring these evidences in, and I'm for all these evidence. We bring in evidences for the Bible, and, I, and I'm all for these amazing evidences of the Bible. You know, we, we could talk about fulfilled prophecy how things written thousands of years before they happened actually came true. Things that, that are not self-fulfilling in their prophecies, you know. Jesus couldn't have said, I got an idea. I'm going to be born in Bethlehem just to fulfill the prophecy of being born in the house of bread, the Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He had no control over where he was born. Anyway, multiple things like that. We could talk about archaeological discoveries where the Bible claims this happened at this time at this place. And then for years, people scoff at the Bible saying, we haven't found evidence of that. And then later they discover evidence archaeologically. Wow, God's word is true again. We can talk about how it's internally consistent. I mean, 40 different author, authors over 1,500 years writing about every subject known to man, you know, marriage and family and relationships and spirituality and I mean, all these subjects and having internal consistency and harmony. It's incredible. We could talk about the extra biblical writings that are outside of scripture that point to the truth of the resurrection of Christ, the historicity of Jesus, multiple other things. How the Bible, while it's not a science textbook, it's scientifically accurate in everything it says. It's true. 
I mean, think about it. The Bible says God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, ex nihilo. And then in the last hundred years, we go, oh my goodness, it looks like the universe came into existence instantly from nowhere. It looks like it just came into existence. God told us that. I don't think he used the Big Bang. That's not what he did. All I'm saying is the science that we see today, the idea of animals producing the same kind of animal, the idea of symbiotic relationships, how animals and plants are going to depend on each other because after all, it was all created in six days. All the scientific things that the Bible talks about are accurate. We could go into the manuscripts. They used to scoff at the Bible and, and say that it was, it was translated and it's kind of like the game telephone. How do you even know what you have in the Bible? It's like the game telephone. No, it's not. It's one thing to whisper in somebody's ear, pss, 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 then whisper it into the next ear and it go all the way around. It's a whole nother thing when you write down the words and say, here's the word and you pass that to somebody and they go, oh, I'm going to copy that word and pass it to somebody. This isn't the game of telephone. Not to mention, when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, this took us back way further than in manuscript evidence than we ever had, and they got the entire book of Isaiah. And it's the same. It's what we have today. So manuscript evidence is incredible. We could go into how the, the authors of, of the Bible, they were very open and honest about both the good and the bad. When you're trying to manipulate something, you don't give the full story. You hold back, you know, some of the bad things that happen and you only put the good things in there. These authors put the good and the bad. They say, hey, here's the truth. We could talk about the persecution of Christians, how they were willing to die. Now, people are willing to die today for what they believe, and I get that. But people are not willing to die for a lie that they know is false, that they know is a lie. We could talk about how the Bible has transformational power. We could talk about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Guys, the problem is this isn't a matter of the evidence. We've all got the same evidence. Yes, we could go into piece after piece after piece. Evidence for the Bible, evidence for God. We could go into the arguments, the logical arguments. Here, here's why I say it's not a matter of evidence. And, and I had I'd kind of come to this conclusion, but really began learning this uh, a lot better when um, a friend of mine, Sighton Bergenkate, did a debate with a guy named Paul Baird. It was originally on the unbelievable radio show hosted by Justin Brierley over in the UK. Well, we got a hold of that, and we got a hold of the guy that Cy debated in that round one of the debate. His name was Paul Baird. And in this, in, uh, we got a hold of him and said, hey, would you like to do round two? He said, yes, I would. Man, I, I highly recommend you grab this. It's on our website, creationtoday.org, the unbelievable debate series. In debate number two, Paul Baird made an unbelievable admission. I mean, when I heard the words coming out of his mouth during this conversation, I thought, I can't believe he's being this honest. He said, and these are his words. Here's a quote. You can watch it on the debate. What would it take to convince an atheist that the resurrection had happened. He said, if we had, and I'm not paraphrasing or anything, this is an exact quote. If we had affidavits from the Roman guards standing at the foot of the cross, they'd seen the crucifixion take place, they'd seen the body taken down, they'd seen the body taken to the grave, and then they stayed by the body, and they'd actually seen the stone being rolled away and Jesus come out. Then, he doesn't stop there, he goes, 
Then they stayed with Jesus all through the 40 days. They watched him ascend unto heaven, and that was documented, and that was authenticated. Would an atheist accept it? What do you think? You think that would be enough evidence if it was proven to that degree of certainty? Would an atheist accept it? What do you, what do you think? Write it in the comments. What do you think the atheist would say? What do you think Paul Baird said to his own statement? about this kind of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, I say no. He said, that's really the key. Evidence is not the issue. Tony, 10 points for you. Diana, 10 points for you. Shane, 10 points for you. He said, no, not going to do it. I'm not going to believe. Guys, it's not like they've got more evidence against God than we have for God. Probably one of the greatest evidences that they use, I'm not going to go into this in detail, but one of the greatest things they think they use is evil and suffering. Well, evil and suffering are evidence against God. I've got my evidence. Look at all the evil and suffering in the world. Stop and think about that. What worldview can make sense of evil and suffering? I mean, does the Buddhist worldview make sense of that? No. According to Buddhism, it's karma. What goes around comes around. All those people that got hurt in the earthquake or the tsunami, they had it coming because of something they did in a past life. You, you can't take Hinduism. Hinduism says, well, um, you know, it, it's not really happening. You need to just meditate. You're not really suffering. You need to reach the state of nirvana where there's no distinctions and you realize this whole world is an illusion. I mean, I mean does that do any good when you're standing by the bed of a, of a child that's dying of cancer? I mean, is that, is that what you say? Hey, it's just an illusion. Do you adopt atheism? Atheism just says, suck it up, man. Life's tough. Yeah, you're a kid and you got cancer. Ha, sorry, that's the way it goes. The lion eats the baby zebra. The cancer is eating you. I mean, there's, there, you can't have empathy in an atheistic worldview because it's just the way it is. There's only one worldview that says, oh, man. Let me, let me tell you the truth. God created a perfect world. It was beautiful. No sin, no death, no suffering. But then we came in, man came in and destroyed God's perfect creation. And the pain that you feel, the empathy that you feel, the, the thoughts that you have of our, it's not supposed to be this way. Those thoughts are because you recognize that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And yes, there is evil and suffering in the world right now. But God's, God's going to do away with this world. Christ is going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. It's going to be good again. There's not going to be any more tears. God's going to make this world back to the way that it used to be. Which worldview makes sense of evil and suffering? And not to mention, sorry, I'm taking a little bit of time on this, but not to mention, if, if you want to say that evil and suffering is evidence against God, am I allowed to use good and pleasure as evidence for God's existence? Are we around, allowed to look around the world and say, oh, well, if evil is evidence against God, well, then what about all the good that's done in the world? I mean, does the good outweigh the bad? I mean, is that how we're going to decide? Because if you're saying the evil is evidence against God, surely the good would have to be evidence for God. 
If suffering is evidence against God, surely pleasure then would have to be evidence for God. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to say, well, dismiss the good and the pleasure. Just look at the evil and suffering. And then it is clear that there is no God. You don't get to have it like that. You can't ignore the other side of the argument. But like I said, evidence is not the issue. I mean, if you thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is there evidence for the resurrection of Christ? I know five people who used to be atheists that their journey to try to disprove the resurrection of Christ is what led them to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of of J. Warner Wallace, former atheist, said, man, I can't can't disprove the resurrection of Christ. I'm thinking of um, Lee Strobel, former atheist, said, wow, I can't disprove the resurrection of Christ. I'm thinking of uh, my friend Jason Pratt. I had him on a show uh, a couple months ago. Jason Pratt, he's, he's a rocket scientist. The guy's brilliant. He, he, he was an atheist, and now he's a believer in Jesus Christ because he tried to disprove the resurrection. And he went, wow, I, I can't. It's true. We did an entire small group series walking through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, there are 30 extra biblical references to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are, there are uh, eyewitness testimonies, um, the, the, the reasons that they used to try to reject the resurrection. Either the body was stolen uh, or he never died or it was a hallucination. They can't get any of these excuses, if you will, to line up with each other. It doesn't work. Historically, we know Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But by the way, let me recommend, this is a small group series you can go through in in six weeks or in 12 weeks. Before we get to Easter this year, I would encourage you to take some people through this. I mean, most Christians do not know why they believe what they believe. It's a blind faith for them. You could give them the truth, real truth for why they should believe what they believe. Is there any evidence for the creation of the world. Oh my goodness, guys, we could spend days talking about the evidence for creation. There's no doubt God created this world. I mean, think about it. Every major branch of science was started by creationists. Every branch of science that they say, well, geology doesn't prove creation. Oh yeah, it does. Astronomy doesn't prove creation. Oh yes, it does. Biology, anatomy, no matter what branch of science you go into, Every branch of science is evidence of the Creator. Now, we could stick on the evidence. Let me give you a couple that I think are interesting to support the idea that, hey, God made the world. 4,400 years ago, the, the, um, the flood destroyed the world. Noah and his family survived. Let me just throw out a couple of them here, uh, and then I want to get to kind of my, my, my aha moment here of, of how to blow an atheist's mind, okay? Let me just give you a couple. Uh, in 1985, the human population was at 5 billion. In 2000, it was at 6 billion. I think it was around 2008 or 2009, we crossed the 7 billion. You'd have to check me on that one. Now we're getting close to the 8 billion uh, mark in human population. So somewhere around 8 billion today, uh, a little less than that. If we tra- trace the human population backwards, it makes an exponential growth curve on a graph. This exponential growth uh, that's what you want in interest, by the way. If you have money uh, set aside and you're, you're trying to grow up by, by interest, you want to see that happen to your money. And that can only happen with time. Well, if we go back in time, the current world population of 8 billion started approximately 4,400 years ago. Now, I think that's kind of interesting because 
according to the Bible, there was a flood 4,400 years ago, and eight people survived, and they would have repopulated the world. So I think it is kind of interesting. Now look at this from a secular perspective. In a secular textbook or in secular studies, they would show the human population, it would trace backwards into the past accurately, but then instead of tapering off to nothing, I don't know if you can read it, the screen's kind of small there, I'll, I'll show you what it says here. It says this is 4,000 BC, this is 5,000 BC, right here where it should taper off to nothing, 6,000 BC, 7,000 BC, 500,000 years ago. They just went from 7,000 to 500,000 and basically said, we maintained a tiny human population for hundreds of thousands of years. That's impossible. Even the Population Reference Bureau does something similar. Similar. They start off here and they go backwards to where it should taper off to nothing, somewhere right in here. And they go 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, two to five million years ago is what that says right there. Two to five million years ago. Guys, you cannot maintain a tiny human population for millions of years. Genetically, that's impossible. Genetics show that that cannot happen. You can't maintain a tiny human population for hundreds of thousands or millions of years. We should have reached this point way back in here. We would have had an exponential growth curve long before uh, uh, modern time, long before this last couple hundred years of Earth's history. At the time of Christ, there was only a quarter of a billion people alive. Encyclopedia Britannica actually did a study on this. And they said, let's just use the mathematics. And I won't read this, but I'll tell you basically what they said. If you want to pause screen and try to make that out, you can. Um, here's basically what they said. The current population growth rate, this was done a little after 2000, and the population growth rate was 1.7%. Today, the human population growth rate is 1.1%. So we've slowed down. It's actually getting to a dangerous level. It's not a good thing that we are not having enough children to repopulate and actually grow the human population. That's a whole other problem. But when they did the study, it was at 1.7%. They said, let's just suppose that we start 1 million years ago with the first two humans. A boy ape stands up and he's like, I ain't going to be an ape no more. A girl ape stands up and she's like, me neither. And the boy ape and the girl ape happen to be in the same area, in the same continent. They happen to find each other. And he thinks she's hot, and she's like, well, you'll do, okay? They're the first people. They stand up, first human beings. Well, they're going to have children, and they're going to multiply and replenish the earth. They're going to fill the earth. But the rate at which they fill the earth, instead of being what the annual population rate was at 1.7% or today 1.1%, instead of that rate, we're going to slow it down to 0.01%. So 170th of what it actually was when they did this study, or a hundredth of what it is today. Tiny human population growth rate. At this growth rate at 0.01%, you would double the number of people every 7,000 years. So if a million years ago, where's my million? If a million years ago, we had the first two people, after 7,000 years, you would go from two people to four people. After another 7,000 years, we've grown from four people to eight people. Now, they're not the same people. They've lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. But the, the total human population has gone from two to now four to eight. 7,000 years later, we're at eight times two, 16. 7,000 years later, 16 times two, 
34, 7,000 years later, we go um, uh, 8, 16, uh, 32, 64 is what I meant to say. I said 34, 64, 128. You're going to double the human population every 7,000 years. At that incredibly slow human population growth rate, in 1 million years, you would double the human population 142 times. 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, 142 times? That's not all the people that have ever lived. That's the people that are alive today in 1 million years. The number you would get when you do 2 times 2, 142 times, the number you would get is 10 to the 43rd power number of people on planet Earth in 1 million years at that incredibly slow growth rate. Guys, we don't see enough human fossils. We don't see enough people alive. This is the people that would be alive, not the ones that have lived and died. These would be the ones that are alive. You would have 150,000 people per square inch on planet Earth. Guys, we have not been here for millions of years of human evolution. Not at all. Only a few thousand years. Oh, I'll give you two more pieces of science, and then I got to throw uh, social media, unfortunately, YouTube, Facebook. Love you guys. I got to kick you off of here in just a minute. So let me, let me hang, if you want to, hang on just for another, another minute here. Uh, the oceans today are getting saltier. The hydrologic cycle allows only water to evaporate from the oceans, forms the clouds, the clouds come over land, it rains down, washes with it the minerals of the land. The minerals uh, are dissolved in the water, they erode, uh, wash back into the oceans, and then the water evaporates, the hydrologic cycle. Well, this process is actually making the oceans saltier and saltier. They're constantly getting more and more salt in them. No big deal. I believe God created the world about 6,000 years ago. But you want me to believe that the earth formed 4.6 billion years ago? And then sometime within the first 2 billion years, the oceans formed? And then at about 3 billion years ago, um, after earth formed, the oceans mixed with the rock and made soup and the soup came alive. So the oceans have been here for 3 billion years. In 3 billion years, how salty would the oceans be? Today they're at about 3.6, 3.7% salt. In 3 billion years, the salt content in the oceans would be devastating. You could pull a Jesus and go walk on water right down here at the beach in Pensacola, Florida with me if you wanted to in three billion years. Nothing could survive in the oceans if they're three billion years old and have that much salt content in them. The moon goes around the earth. You guys probably already knew that. As it goes around the earth, it's slowly getting further away from the earth. Not very much, just a tiny, tiny bit, but it is leaving the earth. It's slowly moving away. No big deal. I believe God created the heavens and the earth about 6,000 years ago. But you want me to believe that the earth and the moon, earth 4.6 billion years ago, uh, old, moon, I, I don't remember, it's, I don't think it's quite as old, but somewhere over 4 billion years old. Well, that, you can't have this for million, excuse me, billions of years. This is a huge problem. Because if you go, if it's going away from the earth now, if you go back in time, it used to be closer well, do we have billions of years worth of travel for the moon to come back? No. Matter of fact, you have maximum a couple million years before you cause serious problems on Earth. 
because the, the moon causes the tides. And just 25 million years ago, the moon would have been causing the tides to be so great that they would drown everything on earth twice a day. Normally, you can only drown once a day. This causes a problem for life on earth. We can talk about the magnetic field of the earth, how it's getting weaker. It's declined by 7% in the last 150 years. It's, it's, it's not getting stronger. It's getting weaker. You can only go back so far in time. If it gets stronger and stronger, further back in time, it puts a maximum age on it because it would trap intense heat on planet earth. Anyway, we could go into one after another evidences. And I know I just did probably more than I was supposed to, but um, I, I want to, let me, let me, man, I, I gotta, I gotta cut social media off. I hate to do this. I know we've uh, gone a little extra with you guys. I want to I want to talk about people that say they used to be a Christian, and then I want to give you uh, five questions uh, that 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 I think you should ask a skeptic. And these five questions destroy a skeptic worldview, and they set up the Christian worldview in an incredible, incredible way. Uh, but if you want to join me for that, come on over to creationtoday.org, creationtoday.org, and sign up. And uh, would love to see you uh, join us for the last half of this conversation. Uh, Facebook and YouTube, thanks so much for, for hanging out with me. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to. Um, okay, we got several. You got a lot of you on here. Okay. I uh, didn't get a chance to interact with you guys as much as I had hoped to. And I'm, I guess I was, I was trying to look at the chat, but um, I didn't have that pulled up because I was running so ragged. Um, so thank you guys for joining me. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing you guys uh, uh, next week. What do we Oh, next week. I'm having Dr. Joe Martin uh, right here in studio to talk about the amazing animals of Alaska. So would love to have you join me next week. Amazing animals of Alaska with Dr. Joe Martin. That should be a really, really good conversation. Looking forward to that. So social media, God bless you guys. I'll see you guys next Wednesday at noon uh, live right here to talk about incredible creatures from Alaska. And uh, I hope I hope just the information, the science that we've given you has been helpful uh, there's a whole lot more that I want to talk about, but come on over to Creation today and we'll talk about that.